0: And welcome back to the Dementia Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Colm Cunningham, and it's great to have you with us. In this episode, we're going to be talking to people who've participated in clinical trials for treatment related to their symptoms of dementia. With my guest today, we'll be exploring not only the clinical, but the personal and practical elements of these trials, sharing their experiences along the way. So why are we doing this? Well, three years ago, I heard about a conference speaker who had dementia, who was on a clinical trial, and I was appalled to hear that the way that trial was paused was by email. Now, I wouldn't expect that for anybody, but particularly for somebody with dementia. So I thought it was important to talk about best practice and to hear from some people who are directly involved, albeit in the Australian context. We will in our show notes, of course, help you understand where to link to clinical trials in your country. Before we go ahead, I must apologize that we're in lockdown here in a few states in Australia. So it has had an impact on us not being able to have our usual studio set up. So apologies a little bit for the audio. We will at the end of podcast include some show notes about glossary of terms because we do get a wee bit researchy in some of the conversations. For example, we talk about officious when we're talking really about effectiveness. We also talk about placebos, but I'm glad my first guest and colleague is Professor Steve McFarland. Steve is our head of clinical services and leads our clinical trials. So firstly, Steve, when we're talking about clinical trials in relation to dementia, are we talking about medications that are going to help types of dementia or specific ones?
1: We're mainly talking about Alzheimer's disease, Colm, because uh, although there are over a hundred different types of dementia, many of them are very rare and Alzheimer's accounts for about 70% of all cases. So most research funding has gone into developing drugs that are Alzheimer's specific. Having said that, there are now a number of other trials coming through looking at the less common types of dementia.
0: And do you expect that these trials will cure Alzheimer's or manage some of what you experience when you have Alzheimer's?
1: I think the latter, really. I mean, one of the unfortunate things about Alzheimer's is that we know that the pathology, the proteins in the brain that cause the disease appear up to 20 years before people develop symptoms and the implication of that is by the time you have developed the very first symptoms of Alzheimer's disease a lot of brain cells have already been severely damaged or in fact are dead and we're not going to be able to bring those brain cells back to life. So I think the most that we can expect from a highly successful medication would be to arrest the progression of the disease but a more realistic goal is probably simply to slow its progression down.
0: So if we were looking at what a treatment will look like in the next two decades, what do you hope that trials like the ones you're involved in will change in the experience people with dementia have?
1: Well, we've seen some progress come through very recently, Colin. There was a, a new drug approved in the US for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease for the first time in over 20 years earlier this year and I think we'll see more variations on the theme of that drug. It's a class of drug called monoclonal antibodies but going forward I think the field of Alzheimer's treatment will increasingly replicate what we see in cancer treatment that it's not a a one drug does the whole thing type approach but I think we'll be seeing combination therapies as different classes of drugs show different areas of effectiveness in Alzheimer's So we'll be using a lot more combinations than single drugs. Uh, It's the way I think the future is going to pan out there.
0: So we will be talking to John about his experience of being actually on a trial. One of the things that sometimes comes up is, am I on the real drug or on the placebo? Could you tell us a little bit about what is a placebo and what does it mean in the context of dementia drug trials?
1: Okay, a placebo is an inactive substance. You might have heard them referred to as sugar pills. Uh, And if the study medication is being given in a pill form, there will be another pill that's made up to look and taste exactly like the real pill, which contains an inactive substance that won't have any effect on the disease. And the reason it's important to use a placebo arm in trials like this is if you've got a group of people who seem to be benefiting from a drug, you have to be able to compare them to a comparable Group of people who aren't getting an active treatment so that you can be sure that the benefits that we're seeing are in fact due to the drug and not just due to something called the placebo effect where people think they're getting a drug so tend to report themselves as being better than if they uh, weren't known to be on any substance. So placebo is really important. Uh, most trials nowadays will have a placebo controlled phase for a year, possibly up to two years, but because these trials are very big and they can take a couple of years to recruit thousands of patients, they'll usually offer what's called an open-label extension phase for the people who finish the trial first. They get to then be guaranteed to receive the study drug for an indefinite period until the results of the the placebo-controlled trial are over. So there is a, a net benefit to patients being guaranteed to receive the study drug at some point in a lot of these trials, but the placebo controlled phase can vary from anything between 12 weeks to a couple of years.
0: Steve, my last question is, we're obviously going to be talking to somebody about what's important from their point of view about being on a trial. You've worked in this area for a long time. Are there any things that have become more important to you in the way Uh, people with dementia and their relatives who are supporting them are treated during trials that you're involved
1: in. Sure and one of the interesting things when you look at clinical trial participants Colm is even if you look at the group who received the active drug and the group who received placebo the placebo treated group actually do better than people who don't participate in clinical trials at all which is really interesting. And I think the probable explanation for that is even just being involved in a trial means that you get close, regular, expert follow-up by people who are familiar with the disease under consideration and you possibly get better quality and certainly more frequent follow-up than if you were just under the care of a medical specialist or a GP. So there are benefits for participation whether you're on study or not and one of the things I'm sure you'll hear from Marie and our guests uh, later today is that they do feel uh, valued valued and part of a treatment team uh, and looking after trial participants and their carers is one of the things that helps keep them engaged and stop dropping out of the study during the course of a treatment period that can last for two or three years. So if you take care of your trial participants they tend to do better for longer regardless of whether they're on placebo and to not drop out of the trial. So it's a great thing for patients and their carers to be involved with
0: Steve thanks so much for helping us understand as we start this conversation some of the important issues I'll see you very soon
1: on the dementia podcast always a pleasure Colm. thanks
0: and now I am pleased to introduce our guests from Melbourne in Australia Marie Mastwick is the manager at our clinical trials team who works with Steve and it's fantastic to have her extensive experience reflected in the discussions we're gonna have next But with her, we will have John. John's a person living with dementia who's currently on a clinical trial with us and along with him, Trisha, his partner. And together they're gonna share their personal experience. So thank you all for joining us on this important topic. Tricia, what led you and John to be involved?
2: When we heard about the diagnosis, which we all suspected would be the case because John's mother had Alzheimer's around the same age as John. And I had been noticing for the past few years. So we were prepared for the diagnosis. And so with that preparation of thinking about that, we would also decided to look up and see what else was possibly available, even though we had heard, um, there was no treatment. So thinking of it as a hereditary diagnosis or illness or disease and thinking of the children, and I think they were also thinking ahead when I say children, adults in their 40s. We thought, let's see what other what's happening with trials. We then spoke to the neurologist about we were keen um, looking towards the future and he suggested having Care, plus there would be others, but having Care with Anavex. So as a group, and we suggested to John, and we're all in agreement, so that we'd go ahead.
0: Marie, I imagine there's a number of stages before people like John and Tricia get involved in clinical trials.
3: Well, clinical trials are an opportunity to trial a medication that may be efficacious in a particular condition. Um, if there is existing standard treatment, it's often used as a comparator against a new potential drug. But in Alzheimer's disease, as Tricia said, there is no cure for Alzheimer's disease, so we still have to compare potential treatments for Alzheimer's against placebo to see if the treatment improves the the situation that the person would otherwise go through, really. Clinical trials go through quite a long process. There's 10 to 15 years in the lab. If there is some indication of efficacy, then they will have a phase one study where it's given to healthy volunteers, usually young people that are are paid for the experience, to test it for safety, and that's done in small numbers. Then in phase two, they will give it to people with the disease under study, and that will again be a small study um, to continue the safety work and also to look at efficacy. So it's a proof of concept study. And then phase three, there will be two large studies of 1,500 people or more looking at um, safety tolerability still that always continues and efficacy.
0: And Marie, can I ask you, in terms of the point at which John and Tricia would find themselves coming for their first conversation, what are the important steps that you and the team set out to ensure that on our first day of having a conversation with you, uh, you're all ready for them. I, mean, I imagine you have a number of processes to support them.
3: Well, we start off with a telephone call and we encourage people to come and meet us before they start. And I think Trish did that, didn't you? You came and I met mean, us. Yes. She came yes. by herself, but, but not with John. John was at that stage trusting Trish's judgment. Um, and we had a chat about the, the clinical trial and what was involved so what, what is involved is at the first visit, we go through a consent form and usually people have the opportunity, or always people have the opportunity to read the consent form before they come for the screening visit and have their questions read. Then the doctor goes through the consent form with the participant and the study partner. All Alzheimer's disease studies have a study partner and that process usually takes 30 or 40 minutes. Once we have consent, we go through eligibility criteria and that usually starts with cognitive assessments because the, the drug may be looking for people with mild Alzheimer's or mild cognitive impairment. Then we make sure that, that they're going to be safe physically on the study. So they have a full gamut of physical tests. The study continues for six months, two years. However long, efficacy cognitive tests are done at intervals and safety assessments are done at every visit and we look at any changes in con meds or um, adverse events to make sure the patient is healthy and safe during participation in the study. John,
0: I would love to understand what's important to you as a participant.
4: Yeah, I did want to see if there was any material that I could read. To come to an understanding of what the process would be, and I think mostly that was not so much in written <clears throat> form. It was mostly in conversation that I was, um, was told how things would be conducted. I think there are probably occasions where I haven't attended. I don't. I don't have any knowledge of those. Um, I have heard, from time to time, just listening to science programs on radio, that. Um, they are achieving some results from this process, but I haven't really had that confirmed to me on an individual or personal basis.
0: Trisha, I, I realise that you are an important support here to ensure that John gets to all the appointments and gets the information he needs to make informed decisions about being part of this what's been important for you uh, and indeed what do you think is important for anybody else thinking of uh, as being a support to somebody taking part in a trial
2: well one of the first things as Marie suggested or not suggested she said I I came along by myself Um, I really want to for me I really want to know who people are I want to know the environment I want to know what I'm coming into I want to feel like it's friendly and that people can respond in a very human way. That is in my life generally, otherwise I find I lose interest. So I chatted to Marie. I probably came in and just said what was on my mind. Marie responded really well in a very sort of friendly and listening way. And so I understood the environment to a certain extent. And after that, I got to meet the team, especially well, Steve. But I'd have to say Paul, who has been our main contact, has been incredible. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hope for anyone better than Paul. His humour, his life, his spirit. And I think that for me also um, has given me um, just a feeling like we can belong to the team for as long as possible. It's that normality and humanity that um, keeps us going. And through that I can, well, I know John has responded well. As, and I think people who are perhaps a little bit shyer than me may feel that but can't ex- won't express it. But I think underlying it all is that
0: contact. So consistency, relationships, knowing the environment. And it's it's striking what you said earlier in the conversation about you're part of the team. You're not a subject of the team. You are part of it. That's a really powerful message. Can I ask you? both because, uh, as Marie said quite rightly, the important steps to ensure that uh, a trial is being run well and that we're ensuring that you're safe, supported, and all the right pre-getting-involved tests are done. Uh, That's a lot of work. I'm wondering what advice, from both your point of view, John, and Trish's, you would give to anybody thinking of taking part in a trial?
4: I would recommend that they engage in it or inquire about it and find out if it be workable for them. I understand that there are no treatments out there, and I understand that if there are treatments going to come, they're going to come evolving out of a process such as this experiment. I think if you give them the opportunity to be involved in uh, in, in something that's um, possibly going to lead to clearer insights or possibly going to lead to some form of treatment i I could only recommend anyone go
0: ahead and tricia clearly you have indicated that your personality would also say that the checking out would also have happened regardless because that's the way you're wired but for somebody who isn't wired like you have you got some advice for them
2: well i would always just say to anybody is to trust their instincts I would say it's intuitive, instinctive feel, no matter what personality, because as human beings, we all find our way to something and we all make our own decisions. So I would never say absolutely do it. I would just say trust your feelings and at any time you feel overwhelmed by the process then you can stop it, you can end it, and that's what the team also says. We can can end at any point, like the team, if they come across something that's not right within the trial. My understanding is they can cease it, we'll accept that, and vice versa. So it's a very, I don't think it's a personality thing, I think it's just a trust within yourself and what the capacity is of yourself to continue because that's what's important for the partner as well as the person with the disease.
0: Marie, is there any more that you would add to that in terms of how the team need to think about this? Because obviously occasionally there may be changes in the protocol or the process as you're going along. So any tips that you would suggest for people listening?
3: Well, certainly uh, we revise our practices regularly. We listen, uh, to what people say and make changes as we think necessary on a you know day-to-day basis or as, as as and when they occur.
0: Any final thoughts, Marie?
3: People need hope, and I think clinical trials do give people some hope. There's also, as Trish hit on, the support. There's regular review and support at all visits. You don't have to wait for those six-monthly reviews with the specialist because you're coming in here more frequently and you have somebody on speed dial and we can always do unscheduled visits if there's a problem.
0: John, Marie earlier talked about hope. What does that mean for
4: you? Hope is that the uh, treatment has some benign effect on the treaties. So, and I, I, I assume... That's part of what we're all looking at, sticks and whatever, but I I assume or I presume that it's an audit process.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And for you, Tricia?
2: I have found by being we and we've both been open to all our friends. So once the diagnosis happened and we received that, then that openness and to be able to talk about the trial and to include all the friends and close neighbours to know what's happening has been an amazing experience. And I think that Marie spoke about this, which I'm just following on, that openness and kindness. Well, through the openness, the kindness comes and an understanding and then you hear of other people's stories. And then people will open up and talk about, oh, my mother had that. And I will ask, well, how did they feel? And that caring between people and the honesty of what's happening in your own household is, it just ripples out. It's like just an incredible experience. And the other thing that was important to us for our family. And I think this is still what's going to happen at the end of the trial, and I think people should know this, that for us here anyway, I believe John will be given the drug, um, the real drug, for perhaps up to two years. I'm not absolutely clear, but I think that's what it is. Now, so we have altruism on one hand, but also it's very practical and pragmatic, and I as a family, and we're looking towards that, that that will give John an opportunity. So as well as the wider community, we're looking at supporting John and perhaps it could help.
0: Well, it has really helped to have you share your thoughts today because um, it, it's a rare privilege to be able to hear from somebody living with dementia and their care who at the end of the day, are the reason why uh, we exist in our roles. We've done a lot of work to ensure that this space was right and safe and that you were in, uh, in control of the messages today. But at the end of the day, I realise it's also very personal. So I cannot thank you enough for people listening across the world that you've been willing to share your stories. Thank you, all three of you, for taking part today.
3: Thank you. Thanks um, for the opportunity, come.
0: It was so wonderful to get to talk to Marie and to John and Tricia. As always in our show notes, we'll have important links that may help and inform your thinking. And please as always, don't hesitate to give us your feedback through hello at dementiacenter.com. We welcome your thoughts and ideas on this and future episodes. Thank you as always for listening and bye for now.